Dotnet Rocks episode 910, with guests Andrea Magnorski and Alan O'Connor. Recorded live Friday, September 6th, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And by Windows Azure, who wants you as an MSDN subscriber to activate your free Windows Azure credits and start building your own dev test environment in the cloud. Activate before September 30th for a chance to win a 2013 Aston Martin V8 Vantage sports car. Go to dotnetrocks.com slash Azure to enter and win. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl and Richard here for your listening pleasure. Hopefully, you're not texting and driving. Hopefully. Please don't. Please don't do that. Just listen. That's why we only make an audio podcast. Mm. If we did video, driving would be unwise. Not until you get your automated car. Then you can watch us. Then you can watch. Yeah. yeah. We'll switch to video when you get your automated car. Absolutely. Until then, it's audio only. That's it. I like that plan a lot. What's up, buddy? Uh, you know, flunking along. Been gradually rewiring my house. Well, not really wiring, but replacing all of my light bulbs with LED bulbs. Trying to take the power bill down a bit. But, you know, I, I live in a household of... Uh, of artistic women, and they care about color frequency a lot. So we've been making sure they look right and they fit right and their uh, the floods are right and everything's got to be right, but it's taking time to get the right ones. And it, it's working now? Hey, we're getting there. It, it, we're using a few different bulbs depending on where we are. Some of the bulbs, you can get LED MR16s, which are mostly what I'm using, the replacement for halogens. Of course, the halogen bulb's a buck, right? right. Right. So the inexpensive uh, LED ones are about $12, and yeah. the expensive ones are about $35. Okay. And and for $35, you get, you get one that fits exactly into the MR16 shape. There's no extra bulges or anything, and color structure is perfect. The flood is perfect and so forth. It depends on what you can tolerate. And they're going to last for 20 years. Um, the, they're warranted for, depending on the model, 25 or 50,000 hours. Good Lord. So they last a long time. It's the much, much better than the, you know, four to 5,000 hours you get out of a halogen bulb. Wow. That's amazing. Well, uh, we're somewhere in the UK right now, or maybe we're on our way to, uh, uh, to, uh, DevReach right now. I, th- I like to think we're sitting in a, in a nice little whiskey bar, sipping some local, hard to find, Scottish whiskey. That's what I think we're doing right now. I hope. I certainly hope you're right. <laughs> All right. Better know framework. Hit Roll me. it. Roll that stuff. What do you got for me, buddy? So this week we interviewed Mr. Rocky Latka. The Rocky Latka. Yes, yes. on the tablet show. And very glad the man is alive. Very glad he's alive. He went. He had a little illness bout and scary uh, moments. Scary moments. So he's back and he's rocking it. And he had some time to think. And he had some very compelling and interesting, to say the least, blog posts. One of them is at tinyurl.com/rockyonapps. And basically, he's talking about the the difference between consumer versus business apps. It starts this way. There's an ongoing discussion inside Magenic as to whether there is any meaningful difference 
between consumer apps and business apps. And it's kind of a big deal. So he's going down through the litany of technologies and things, and he comes to some interesting conclusions that you may not expect from Mr. Rocky Latka. I'm not so sure I agree with him, but right. uh, it, but it is sort of interesting. We are talking about a guy who's been developing for a very long time and has been is a thought leader for his organization, has been a thought leader to us all for a long time. He really has. And, so, they, and they, there's actually a whole, if you go to Rocky's blog, which is always good, clearly this enforced uh, time off that he's been required to relax and sit still has given him time to do a lot of writing. Right. And, uh, you know, it deserves consideration because, uh, again, he's just not a stupid guy. He's uh, he's led, led us in thought in these uh, areas many times. For sure. Yeah. So there you go. Good uh, stuff. I'm, nice find. Yeah. No, learn and love it. Richard, who's talking to us? Hey, I grabbed a comment off of show 877, and that is the one we did with Kathleen Dollard when she was looking at .NET 4.5 beyond async, because async is what everybody talks about sure. 4.5, and she was talking about a bunch of the other features. And uh, But that's not necessarily the main focus of this comment here. This is from Khalid Abu Hakmeh, and I hope I got your name right, sir. Uh, he says, great show as always. I noticed you guys got off on a tangent. No. No, no. we never do that. Hey, by the way, that reminds me. <laughs> Speaking of non sequiturs, <laughs> we got off on a tangent on the Xbox One console. And Khalid's point here is Xbox One is partly based on Windows 8, so the arguments for the portable class libraries aren't so strong when made on the shoulders of Microsoft's next console, since you'll most likely have access to the full .NET framework. Uh, now, Xbox One has the Win8 kernel in it, yeah. which doesn't necessarily mean that .NET Framework will be there. We've yet to see all of this, although it's a, a great point, and I bring this up because our guests are game developers who care about the Xbox, so, you know, that'll right. be part of our conversation for sure. But uh, Khalid goes on to say, this makes sense since Microsoft is rumored to be pushing easier desktop development of Xbox One apps and hoping for cross-pollination of the apps found in the Windows 8 store and the Xbox One marketplace. It's an exciting time to be a .NET developer, and thanks again for a great show. And I buy that, but I would think the bigger reason that it's going to be easier to do development of apps on the desktop that also run on the Xbox One is that the Xbox One is using much more conventional hardware. Both the Xbox 360 and the PS3, for that matter, its rival on the Sony side, built these very customized bits of hardware, and both of them with their next-generation machines have reverted back. They've said, okay, custom hardware is a problem because it's hard to build games, it's hard to maintain, expensive to build, so they've gone back to much more general-purpose computing so that your machine on your desktop is not that different from what's in an Xbox One or a PS4. So, Khalid, thank you for your comment. I appreciate your thinking there and, and absolutely uh, interesting time. I, you know, Steven Sanofsky may have left Microsoft, but his vision of Windows everywhere, of the Windows kernel being in everything, is coming true. And the Xbox One is a manifestation of that. So a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com. Or you can write them on any of our mobile apps. We have them for Windows 8, Windows Phone 7 and 8 iOS, and Android, and those apps were built by Diatom Enterprises, who'd love to build you an app. You can reach them at diatomenterprises.com. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. 
They have hundreds of hardcore developer training courses authored by industry experts. They release around 40 new courses every month and offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access. Wide range of topics, including coverage of iOS, Java, Android, web development, and pretty much anything you can think of on the Microsoft stack. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And with that, let me introduce our guest. Andrea Magnorski is a professional software developer and has accrued many years of experience building solid applications. She has been consuming new technologies and frameworks daily for the last 10 years in a never-ending quest for knowledge and a happy developer path. After a long life in the enterprise development world, she is now developing games and is the proud co-founder of Batcat Games. Andrea is involved in the organization of Global Gamecraft, Alt.net in Dublin, and other code-related communities in Ireland. As co-founder and CEO of Batcat Games, Andrew O'Connor spends his days ignoring important business matters to work on fun game programming challenges. A .NET developer for over 10 years, Andrew gained an extensive knowledge of the Microsoft stack as an R&D programmer at innovative e-learning company InnerWorkings, but has now left the enterprise programming world behind to focus on his passion for making games. Andrew loves everything related to graphics programming, probably embarrassingly so, occasionally lectures about game development, and is also involved in the organization of Global Gamecraft. Welcome, guys. Hello. Hello. Thank you. Awesome. So, uh, and you're both from Ireland. We, we have one of you, Andrew, on, uh, on the phone and Andrea on Skype. We'll try to make you sound as good as we possibly can. Cool. Well, I'm not actually Irish. I'm sorry? I'm not actually Irish. Oh, you're not? Um, well, I'm not originally Irish. I'm Irish by adoption. Oh, okay. And where are you originally but from? That's okay. Argentina. Oh, great. Cool. Yeah, yeah I didn't think Magnorsky was a, an Irish name. But that's ah, where you maybe it's Magnorsky. Yeah, Magnorsky. So that's where you wound up, though. Yep. Yeah, fantastic. All right, guys. Well, tell us what you're working on these days. Who wants to Who wants to take us for the elevator pitch? Uh, Andrew, I'll leave you that one to you. Um, cool. So, um, I guess a year and a half ago now, we started uh, this games company called Batcat Games. Um, the idea is to make games for PC and console uh, spaces for the, the the hardcore kind of gamer. So. Very different to your your you know your mobile stuff, which I find a lot of games companies are are uh, are going into these days. Um, the thing we're working on now is a 2D side-scrolling beat-em-up game set in feudal Japan. Uh, it's for PCs initially and consoles afterwards, and that's coming out next year. Um, so it's all .NET based. Um, working on OpenGL and the uh, in the graphic side at the moment. What did you say it was called? The game is called Honorbound. Ah. Bound by honor. Honor bound. Yes. Well, and this is the game I first saw when I was looking for uh, folks working on interesting games. And they, it's just, it looks like it's a side-scroller, but the visuals, just so lush, it's like each level is a painting. Cool. Thanks. Good. Good to hear. Yeah, thanks. So tell us about the game. What uh, What is it about? Uh, so this is difficult now because we're, we're still working on the story. It's going around in iterations. Sure. Um, but but basically, um, do you guys play beat 'em up games? Do you play God of War or Ninja Gaiden or DMC or any of those? Sure. Richard does that. Not me so much. 
Cool. Okay, so it's it's uh, it's like one of those games in that there's a real depth of combat there. You know, you can mash the buttons if you like, and you know you can feel like a badass, uh, or you can you can learn to be a bit more disciplined and, and and figure out how to carry out these really good combos and become really good at the game. And so we're sort of taking that level of combat and putting it into a 2D game, which is uh, not really something that that exists at the moment, and it, it's something we want to exist. So that's what we're doing. So sort of taking the Street Fighter, every character's got a unique set of moves, but putting a little more story around it as well? Somewhat like that, but rather than having a cast of characters for the player to play, the player's got one character. Right. Uh, much more narrative-driven than something like Street Fighter. So you're playing through this fairly deep story, you know, fairly uh, emotionally engaging and all of that stuff. Um, and again, different to Street Fighter in the sense that you're not playing another character. You're playing against AI-driven NPCs. Right. Yeah, I just I like I like the sort of sophisticated combat model, but when you keep you a side scroller, then it's just a set of moves you've got to figure out how to do. And this is available for PC as well as Xbox. Um, we don't know which console it will be on yet, but you know, presumably Xbox or PlayStation and PlayStation Vita. Right. So starting with the PC model, and is it uh, you're building this using Mono Game? So we're building this at the moment using an open source engine called Duality, and they're Initially, we were developing this using Monogame, but we had to switch when we found this R engine because it had a really, really good editor. And that, when you're working with an art team, is something really important because um, artists need to see and have immediate feedback about what they're doing. And the, the game engine is called Duality? Yep. I, I've not heard of Duality. Talk, talk about, about it. What, what does Duality do? Well, duality is heavily inspired by Unity, and uh, and has an editor that it's it, it looks a little bit like it. The interesting thing about it is that it's component based, it's OpenGL backed, uh, uh, you know. So that means that we can we can go to our platforms if we want to, um, and um, yeah, the the main thing is uh, the editor. The other cool thing is that it's it's MIT open source and it's all in C sharp, which just rocks. Um, because you know a lot of the reason that we wouldn't pick something like Unity. Have you heard of Unity? Yeah, yeah, I've heard. We've we've talked about Unity on the show before. Yep, absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean it's, it's an amazing, an amazing uh, tool for building stuff. Um, but for you know people like me and Andrea, we're sort of very hardcore programmers. I guess it's probably it sounds a bit shooting our own horns, but Unity is sort of set up so that you can, you know, ignore all these best practice programming things that that we've kind of learned and, you know, the hard way and things that we appreciate. So going to duality where we can read really program in, a good, in, a, in what we would consider a good way is a big deal. I've always heard that you, the conversation we've had around Unity is it's about making game development much easier, you know, sort of yeah. a simple way to go about things. You're saying duality is harder? Um, not, not, not for us, at least. Okay. Yeah, hard is not the right word. I mean, um, it's it might be harder initially if you didn't know much about C-sharp, I think. Right. Um, well, I guess it depends on where you come from. I mean, on the one side, you've got C-sharp developers who've never built games and have to start thinking about building games. And then you've got game developers who've never worked in C-sharp. Yes. Um, I'm kind of scared about the way Unity goes about it in some ways because... You know, there will be game developers learning C-sharp through Unity, and uh, 
I mean, you know, they, they have programming practices that might not be, you know, the best. In what sense? Well, everything's public. Let's start with that. Right. If you want, if you want the editor to be able to access things, everything needs to be public. Um, uh, public fields at that rather than public properties, which, you know, something that duality does is it only reflects on public properties and not fields when it wants to pop something into the editor, um, which is, you know, the way it should be. Mm-hmm. For us now, I mean, I'm, and I'm not a game developer, so maybe we need to clarify some of these these concepts here. Hmm. Um, so let's see. If you take um, an example in Unity, let's say you uh, you were just creating a, a a cube, for example. Okay. Um, you would drop a cube on the editor surface, and there is the concept of an object inspector. And in that inspector, you would see the, the properties of that cube. So you'd see the position as X, Y, and Z variables, and then you'd see maybe the, the uh, I guess, the, the, the size of the cube. Mm-hmm. Um, those things in the editor that you're looking at would be public fields in the class behind that, that cube. Oh, I get it. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, but, you know, they shouldn't be public fields. They should be private fields with public properties. Oh, I see. Um, right, of course. I'm getting into rant mode now, so I should probably stop. <laughs> hey, no, we like people who care about what they're doing here and how you know how you build sustainable software is all Absolutely. part of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Unity Unity's cool. I don't, I don't, I sound like I'm bashing it a lot. I think it's a really amazing piece of tech, um, but it, it's not the right fit for us. And the other thing is uh, Unity is 3D, uh, and in re- we're building a 2D game. So to build a, you know, to if we wanted to go and use Unity, we would have had to. Um, you know, jump through the hoops just to to do you know to do something that it doesn't do natively. Um, there's a new new feature in Unity trying to kind of uh, look into to the games, uh, but it's not well. It wasn't there yet at the time, so um, that that was another reason why we thought, okay, well, we shouldn't probably use Unity. <laughs> yeah, because you're building a side-scrolling game here. Yeah. So no need to deal with the 3D stuff. Indeed. Uh, it's a dimension we don't need. Yeah, yeah, an extra an extra dimension you don't really need. So, and you mentioned the visual editor, and this is something specific to duality. Uh, well, it's it's so similar to to Unity in, in a lot of ways. Like you have a, a scene uh, a, a scene editor, you know, um, where you have all the components of uh, uh, you know everything that belongs to a scene. Then you have a, an object inspector where everything about your project is there. Uh, you have the camera, so so you can see what you're trying to do, and and you have different modes in the in the camera view, and you also have uh, you know a, per- a particular object inspector for for say you selected something, you clicked on something, uh, then you have all the properties regarding that, and that expands into each of the components in there, and um, if you used Unity, you'd kind of think, oh, that sounds very similar, and mm-hmm. uh, that's probably good. It's also highly extensible, uh, so you can change, uh, uh, you know, what is available in, in in the editor and what you can add to something, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's interesting how we found it as well because we we were using Monogame up until about March uh, this year, and we were building our own editor on top of that, and okay. it was pretty similar in other ways. It was all component based and uh, had a lot of the same concepts. And I was looking for. Um, a better property grid, basically, about a WinForms property grid, and found this blog post by by some guy I didn't know, um, 
who just happened to have exactly the editor that I was trying to build, uh, just completely by chance. So it was like, well, you know, a no-brainer decision at that point to sort of switch over to it because he'd done everything that we were building already. And that was duality. Um, that was duality. So, so I mean, I think for a lot of folks, including me, the idea that you wouldn't have a visual editor is baffling. So you mean to tell me there are other development environments where you you can't see what you're building? Uh, yeah. <laughs> actually, <laughs> actually, we we were working on a really cool tool that would allow you to. Well, we actually we built that thing. Uh, basically, we we're running an XNA game, and you could re- hot replace uh, anything on it. So basically, you were you were, didn't have an editor. You just you were running the game, and you were like, "Oh, I don't like that tree." So you know, the artist could just re- drop it in, ex- in Explorer, okay. and it will replace and, and pick up whatever it was, not just trees, it was all kinds of, of content. But uh, but uh, but that was something that wasn't out there. And actually, we kind of think we should open source it. We kind of just want to clean it up a little bit. But the intention is there for anybody using XNA or Monogame. That should be quite helpful. Yeah, well, you, you like the visual editor so much, you went away from your framework to get a good visual editor. I think that is important. Well, the things like we were trying to build it, that that's why it made so much sense. If we weren't working with artists, like if it was just Andrew and me and we were like amazing at building art or we were creating geometric shapes, then we probably would have been okay without one. Right. But, you know, when you're working with people that, that need visual context and need like good tools that work all the time, then you kind of are, you know, uh, tied to one. That seems like a pretty reasonable request to want to have good tools and stuff that's easy to see. Ah, oh, come on. This art is one thing, anything. Demanding everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and, and no, again, uh, the thing that caught me about Honor Bound was this visualization. So you've got a, you've got a real strong art feel to that, but that's not you guys. You've, you've got someone else who, who had this vi- uh, artistic vision. Uh, we're, we're lucky that way. Uh, we actually have, uh, two really good, uh, guys that are on the, on the kind of visual stuff. Uh, or, you know, it's like the 2D artistic feel of it. But actually we had, uh, besides them two, two other people that were working on the 3D side of things. So actually we had four artists, uh, already working with us, uh, on just the art of the game, which is wow. quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> they are really talented and we're so, so happy that that we're working with them. Like, we feel privileged. Privileged. That's a word. Yeah, it's a word I made up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What's the role of OpenGL in all of this? So, OpenGL is the API that we use to talk to the graphics hardware. Um, Basically, anything you want to draw goes through through the OpenGL API. Um, And on top of just drawing simple things, it also handles all the shaders, which are the little cool programs that run on the GPU that do all the really nice effects. So if you look at Honorband, for example, we've got this cool God Ray effect, which is called crepuscular rays. Um, it looks like it looks like sunlight through an atmosphere. Um, and also you do cool things like uh, a, a bloom effect that causes light to bleed around the edges of, of, of objects. So OpenGL is sort of responsible for getting all that stuff, all those little programs onto the onto the GPU and uh, and running and then to feed them with parameters as as uh, as the game goes on 
And why OpenGL rather than, say, DirectX? Well, a lot of platforms targeted uh, from, uh, from uh, like, the, the Sony consoles. They, they use something very, very similar to OpenGL that is nearly OpenGL. I think they just put a wrap around it. Okay. Uh, then, then it's like if you, if you think about going mobile or tablets, they're all OpenGL. Uh, it runs on Windows too. So it's like uh, you go Mac, Windows, and, you know, if you're building PC games and you uh, are able to target uh, Mac and Linux, gamers really love you and really appreciate that. So we want gamers to love us. So that's good. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the, being able to go across the platform so you don't have to rewrite it for the other platforms is going to increase the chances that you will put them there. Yeah, the the thing the thing is like uh, Duality uses OpenTK uh, as a way to access OpenGL. Uh, our plan in the not-so-distant future is to replace that and basically put all the good work that Monogame has done to be able to target DirectX and OpenGL so that we can use the advanced features of each of those when it makes most sense. Um, we haven't got to that work yet, but uh, it should be really, really interesting to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's it, how you draw on the screen in a game is obviously very, very important. I think for folks who aren't making games, we just don't think much about lists. It doesn't seem like it's going to be all that hard. Yeah, yeah, there's a huge amount of work that goes on behind the scenes. Um, and I guess, you know, the results are pretty much the same, whether you use OpenGL or DirectX. It doesn't really matter. Um, but I'm kind of sad we, they, we we switched away from DirectX because obviously we were using uh, Monogame, which is the XNA API or the equivalent. Um, and XNA was modeled on DirectX. Uh, and I know that much better than I know OpenGL. So I'm kind of sad we moved away because it's a much, much nicer uh, API. You know, OpenGL is sort of this very old sort of monolithic API thing sort of from the C days and it's uh, uh, it feels much less comfortable to use in, in something like C Sharp. Right. Yeah, well, in, in interesting problem. It's just a question of uh, OpenGL is very old. I think it came from the CAD world, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. It's been around for a long time. It's a long, long time. So do you see yourself ending back at Mono Game at some point? Just you just using duality for the development experience and then you know make it work in Mono Game so you can get it back onto XNA? Well, kind of that's what I was kind of saying earlier uh, in that uh, y- you know even I've been talking to the guys in Mono Game cuz we we know them they're they're based in the UK so sometimes sure. we even kind of say hello and everything. And uh, and I, I was talking to them about how duality is really good and how it's good to have an editor available and and a, and a good easy fast to use engine. And and we were talking about replacing some of the parts of duality and basically sh- for lack of a better word, shoving in monogame underneath. So you have the really good API uh, and, and you know, uh, good support for uh, controllers, uh, some stuff that duality didn't have at the time, um, and a lot of other features that I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and basically, use the editor, use a part of the engine that monogame doesn't have, and add monogame there as the underlying uh, tech, really, and API. Hey, Richard. Yes, sir. You know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, as Jimmy Buffett says, it's time to render the booze in the blender. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. It's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection to a lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Awesome. Before I tell you who wins, 
I need to tell you that Telerik released DevCraft for Q2 2013 just a little while ago. The 10 new controls and over 250 new features across all six of their UI control suites allow you to cover more scenarios out of the box. Tile list for Ajax, calendar, data storage, touch, and more for Windows 8, as well as offline cloud data synchronization for Windows Phone and cloud mobile backbone as a service are just a few of the major new things. The newly introduced graph interactivity support in Telerik Reporting helps you create even more interactive reports. JustCode's new integration with Just Decompile allows you to debug third-party libraries without having the source code available. Check it all out at Telerik.com, and don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Absolutely. So, buddy, who's our winner this time? Today's winner is Martin Altenstead. Congratulations, Martin. Golf clap for you, Golf sir. Clap for Martin. He wins... The DevCraft Complete Collection, that's everything Telerik makes in one box. We're also giving away my CD, Been a While. That's my solo album, uh, which uh, features a song with John Schofield. Nice. Yeah, and uh, the winner of that is Dan Trotta. Congratulations, Dan. That CD is also available on iTunes and Amazon. You can go to carlfranklin.com to check it out. And this is the last .NET Rocks episode before the MSDN Azure sweepstakes comes to an end. Right. On September 30th. Right. So uh, hopefully you're listening to this as soon as it came out and you still have a couple of days left to activate your Azure services on your MSDN subscription. Because they're giving away an Aston Martin. Yeah. The real car, not remote control. This is a whole actual fancy English car. Mm. Uh, and the way you win it is to take advantage of the MSDN Azure subscription services that you have. So every month you get a credit as an MSDN subscriber. So right. if you have an MSDN Ultimate account, for example, you get $150 of credit per month, which is a lot of Azure time. Sure is. So go to .netrocks.com slash Azure, and that'll take you to the Azure website where you can register yourself, turn on your services, start taking advantage of it. And as soon as you put something up, you are automatically entered in the sweepstakes, which ends on September 30th. And the, after it's over, there will be a drawing to see who wins the Aston Martin. So if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com and click on the big Get Free Stuff button to answer a few questions and join the fan club. We have thousands of members. Every show, we give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection. And every December, we're giving away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member. But you got to be a member to win. And we'd like to ask our guests if you had five thousand US to spend on technology, Andrew, Andrea, what would you spend it on? Let's start with you, Andrea. Ladies first. Mm. Um, <laughs> a new graphics card. There you go. Such a geek. <laughs> That's a real game. To well, and you know what? You go all out on the top end NVIDIA graphics cards. Like, they're more than a grand a shot, yeah. and you should get two or three of them. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, honestly, that's kind of the first. And then a laptop that I don't need a bag to carry around. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Ready for an ultra book, huh? Oh, geez. We just came back from a, a trade show. And, um, yeah, that, that wasn't fun. No. What I find it funny is your two products. One is the biggest, ugliest. You know, some of those video cards, like I've got one of the big NVIDIA, the NV65. Like you could kill a horse with it. <laughs> it's mad. They weigh a ton. Yeah. Like they're just yeah. a big block of copper because they're running so fast. They, 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 they heat up like crazy. 
it's funny because when I see them, I go like, they are so beautiful. They are like a piece of art. And you just said, <laughs> they are horrible. Oh, God, they are so horrible looking. And I'm like, no, no, you're crazy. <laughs> well, Andrew, what would you get? Oh, would, would five grand buy me a hoverboard? Oh, I wish. Yeah, I'd buy, I'd buy a hoverboard so I could put my, my my NVIDIA Titan on it and carry it to my computer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I would think the game developers would want like a 4K monitor too. Yeah. Uh, well, that would rock. I'm happy, with, I'm happy with my monitor. Well, at the moment, I don't know. Uh, no, actually, I, that would be probably the third, but uh, but no, the the graphics because it gets really noisy. You know, it's like right. you start running a game and it goes like, zzzz, and you're like, whoa! A, now you need yeah. a separate room for your PC and a hole in the wall to you know put all your keyboard, mouse, and monitor cables through. Right? Yeah, That's we're what, regressing. Yeah. Who would do that? <laughs> Who would do that? I can't <laughs> imagine anybody doing that. That's crazy talk. Yeah, it's crazy talk. I tell you what, I do is I buy an Oculus Rift HD when that comes oh, out. Yeah. Totally, yeah. Yeah. Have you have you played Valkyrie on it yet? No, I haven't played the Oculus Rift yet. I've seen it once. Oh, you should totally do it. It's um, it's it's like the most immersive experience I've ever had in my life. And and I was lucky because I got to try Valkyrie with an HD and under as well, uh, and in an HD Oculus Rift. The, it's it's uh, it's. I don't think I'll, I'll ever go out after I get one of those. Ever. <laughs> It'll be the end of you. Well, and now yeah. John Carmack's on board too, so that's it I know. for yeah. Oculus. Clearly, yeah. great things are going to happen. OculusVR.com. Guys, I've been sitting on the sidelines because I know absolutely nothing about graphics and game development, and it's all Greek to me. So I want to dial it back to sort of the, the business of game development and, you know, where what, what the state of that is. Because last time I checked, there was only a few houses doing games, and very, you know, a lot of games go. Uh, you know, spend a lot of money t- developing them, and uh, they don't really get anywhere. And a few, you know, really pop, and 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 they do. What's what is the what's the prospect like these days for a game shop such well, as yours? Well, we're we're indies in in the sense that we're not in it for the money. I really, you know, it's like what. Nobody that I know starts the a games company thinking, you know what, I'm gonna get rich. So, so, um, and it comes a lot. I think you only do a great game if you truly believe in it. Like, like, like any product, you, you have to be in, totally into it and believe that what you're doing is the best you can. And that's why we're doing what we're doing, which is PC and console. Um, a lot of, uh, our games companies are going, um, you know, they weren't through, uh, web and Facebook games and mobile. And that's what it's making money. Um, a lot of people advise you to go and do mobile and tablets. Um, but you can't please people because they tell you to. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's not, if, imagine trying to play Street Fighter on your tablet and, and we tried. It, it's, hmm. it's actually painful in your eyes and also in your, in your fingers. After 20 minutes, you don't want to play anymore because it hurts. And, uh, you need to give the people the experience they need. So that's, that's why we're doing what we're doing, which is not the question you asked. <laughs> but I guess the thing is, there's a prospect of doing okay in what we're doing if you're doing it very well and if you're lucky. It's a combination of those two. That's why games like, for example, Guacamele or um, Bastion have done really well and they are 
small companies that are actually moving on and and you can see them doing better and better games and uh, th that's really cool you know um but yeah out of the success rate is very very little small but you know having said that there's never really been a better time to do what we're trying to do because you know the the barriers for entry are lower than they've ever been right um There's a few walled gardens left. There's Steam, which is the, the the biggest digital distribution platform for PC. Um, they have a they have a process called Greenlight uh, to get onto their platform, which is a community driven uh, thing where you have to get so many votes, so many yes votes before Steam will actually take your game onto their service. Mm -hmm. um, which has got you know it's got its own problems. Um, and then, of course, there's there's Apple with its its own walled garden. Everyone knows about that at this point. Sure. Um, but you've got Android, which is free, easy to get onto. The Wii, uh, um, I don't know about the process there actually, but I believe it's as simple as as Android. Um, and the console makers themselves are at a point where they're almost stuck for content. Um, Interesting. Especially, yeah, which is great, especially in the the sort of size of game that we're working on now. So. So I guess it really comes down to how productive can you be? I mean, using Monogame, you're able to write it once and run it on all of these platforms, and that's obviously huge productivity-wise. But, but in terms of generating the game itself, um, you know, you're, there, obviously nothing is going to take the place of a good artist. So, you, you know, artwork has to be done no matter what. But yeah. are we getting any faster at you know, tool-wise or, or process-wise at going from art to conception to game? Yeah, I, I, I think that that's, you, you really hit it there with process, I think. Um, basically, if you give the people you work with the fastest possible feedback, they'll become, you know, as, as productive as that loop is. So, so if you're really fast, they'll become faster because the only way to get good on this is to iterate a lot. Um, so, you know, some cycles are longer, some cycles about like story, you know, you kind of, it takes a while to, to iterate over that. But to iterate on, on a character, to iterate over, over an animation, it has to be super snappy. So, uh, we worked a lot on that. We, we actually work really hard at making sure that nobody's ever stuck. Uh, and that's kind of a little bit like, I take it very personally. Uh, on, you know, we have our CI builds, uh, we have, um, you know, as many tests as it makes sense to have. Well, now, now you just nailed something here, tests. Now, when I think of software, you know, with, with you know, unit tests, you know, d development in business software, it's easy to test something. A game, you have to sit down and play it, don't you? Well, uh, gameplay, absolutely. <laughs> We, we actually yeah. had a lot of discussion over this and I let Andrew talk after I talk. <laughs> But, uh, on, on this subject, we, we actually had to, we had a lot of very, very noisy fights. And, <laughs> but it was fun actually, if you were an spectator. Um, but it, you know, you don't, you don't want to test the gameplay uh, code because it, it just changes too much too often. However, there's a lot of systems and underlying, uh, bits of codes like for example what runs the animation you want to make sure that that runs super well uh, the AI you can totally test 
the behaviors of that if you want to. Like, for example, say you're using a, a state machine. You can make sure that, the, you know, if you hand-rolled your, your state machine, you need to verify that that is working as expected. Because the last thing you want is that, you know, two days before release and you have a very hard deadline, it's like some obscure bug in the middle of your engine. You know, that's kind of nightmare scenario. So that gets could- to the issue, and I, and I know Andrew's chomping at the bit here, and hang on, bear with me here, but it gets to the issue of, okay, now we need uh, an army of testers out there, but I'm sure there are and there is an army of kids that would rather do nothing more than sit, you know, get paid even if it was nothing, you know, a dollar a day to sit home in their underwear and test your games all day, <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, I, I, yes. have, I have 10 of them on the top of my head I can refer to you who would be more than happy to go for a job like that. But, but <laughs> don't forget, for anybody that, that is doing anything on your team, you need to make sure that, you know, that is useful. So there's a kind of, for lack of a better word, there's a management time that you have to, you know, if I want to, you, for example, if I tell you, Carl, listen, I really want you to... Uh, test this this game and just test this level three okay so you're gonna go off you don't know how to start so you're going hey andrea come back listen how do i go to level three oh okay there's this secret code okay come back then you come back it's like i found a bug okay write down about it so so there's a whole process again that you have to come up with or um, you know look after and it's different for each time you play test so yeah it's uh, it could be very cheap but still there is parts that are cheaper to write unit and integration tests for because you can automate it, you can regress it, and all of that. You know, at the same time, I know a few guys who are game testers, and it's like working in a candy factory. For the first couple of weeks, it's awesome. (laughs) Uh, When you play the same level over and over and over and over, trying to make sure it's perfect, it's hard work. Yeah, once it turns into work. Sounds like a dream job, but it's not. All right, Andrew. So you you obviously had something to uh, chime in there about. I think Andrea covered all of it. (laughs) 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 You know, all all the nails on the head. I mean, I wish that we could test gameplay code, but you know yourselves that refactoring tests takes a little bit of time, even if they're written well. And with the gameplay code, you really want to be able to iterate really, really quickly, and tests sort of get in the way of that. But you know, we try to we try to buffer that as well as we can by having as much of the lower level stuff fully tested or as tested as we as we can. Maybe fully tested is the wrong is the wrong term. Right. Tested, okay. Um, you know, I wish there was a, a test that would go green when the game was fun. But right, uh, ah. G- games are art. Art is never done, only abandoned. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you <laughs> could you could do the creepy thing that Richard and I've been talking about, which is you know hooking up sensors and connects and stuff, and trying to read people's facial expressions and body language and you know that kind of stuff to see if they're having difficulty or if they're frustrated. That'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Um, we have we have an idea for for I guess testing gameplay code, which is to take um, a serialized copy of the scene every single frame. Um, and save that as a sort of a test package and then be able to run that back with uh, the same set of input and basically verify that the serialized data for each frame is uh, is the same as some base sample. Um, that would go a long way to testing, but, you know, ain't going to tell us if it's fun. 
You, you know, that, that definition of fun is the tricky one, isn't it? Like, I love advanced moves, but in, in, in say, a, a fighting game like this, but you make those key combinations just a bit too hard to do or chunky so that the, the moves don't go together. And I think the art of creating discoverable behavior in a game is very tough and getting it right is completely feel. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, an amazingly difficult balancing challenge. You gotta, you gotta have enough knobs to tweak that, that, you know, you, you've got enough flexibility that you can find the fun after the game's almost been finished. Are you guys also interested in applying game theory to, you know, solving the world's problems? Uh, not really. Not really. No, you're just into games. I think. I think. At least for me personally, I'd love to at some point uh, get in get involved in science and code. I think there's a very big gap there. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but also after that, I want to actually end up making cars. But that's a different story. <laughs> but but uh, but I think games. Th- these games are about. Just being incredibly fun about learning the, you know, about giving that joyful experience that you only get by playing games that got it. That are just amazing games. Andrew, and that, what about you? I I have an idea to do a game or a bunch of games that are based around learning maths, but not to uh, do it with the goal of learning maths. It's sort of incidental learning, like the way a you know a, a kid would learn a foreign language from watching. Lots of subtitled movies, that kind of idea. I love the idea of incidental learning, um, and I think you can do that in a game pretty well. Yeah, I tend to agree. Yeah, uh, can we talk a bit about the whole distribution side? Because I, I mean, from a consumer perspective, I love Steam. I like that. No matter, I rebuild machines all the time, and the fact that I can fire up Steam and there's all my games and install what I want to play with, and it remembers everything. Like from that experience is what I've always wanted in a, in a software distribution engine. But what's it like from the gamer game developers perspective? Hmm. It's a bit, uh, it can be a bit frustrating uh, because uh, we actually, we had a previous game, right? And it was called P3 Biotic. Mm-hmm. And we went and approached them just before they released green, green light. And uh, we went and put the game there and they said, no, and we kind of wanted to know why, and they just wouldn't tell us. And then, we, like the week after, uh, Greenlight was released, and then we were like, okay. And uh, you go and put your game there, and eighteen thousand people see it, which is great. So you kind of send them to other channels, and they actually buy it, which is very strange. So that's one side of it, and that's the official Steam channels. But then you have the option of going through a publisher. And basically just that means that you use an intermediary to get to Steam, which sounds like it doesn't make sense, but it actually kind of does. Just So does the publisher sort of set a quality threshold? The publisher basically will kind of just check, you know, I, I think although nobody says yes or no, and I don't know how, how true or not it, this is, publishers have a direct dealing with Steam. Right. So, uh, they probably go into their own kind of sel- pre-selection and say, right, okay, we're going to try to push these 10 games to Steam and they probably have like about 100. And then be- maybe they have a deal with Steam, but again, no idea if this is true or not. And Steam goes, okay, um, we'll, we'll go for it. And that way, uh, you know, pro- publishers tend to get involved in the creative process. Uh, so they will make sure that certain things happen and certain other things 
don't happen. Um, I don't really know what those things are because we are not dealing with a publisher at the moment. Right. Um, but, but, you know, I don't know. I'm sure that they do. Oh, okay. Maybe you should consider, uh, not having, a, I don't know, a dog there because if you're trying to sell this in China, people hate dogs. I don't know. Whatever, you know, avoid very, very stupid errors that game developers might make. Well, they sure. like dogs just with the right sauce. i really don't know uh, (laughs) well and it it brings me back to the whole xbox one thing because i'm i'm i've always thought that microsoft had an opportunity here to build a really a sort of a great store experience for indie games but it never seemed to come to fruition with around the xbox 360 that just never seemed good enough approachable enough for regular people to do it 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 was approachable Uh, we had our like my first game was was on that um January two years ago, I think. Um, it's it's easy to get on there. The problem was that they wouldn't push it. They wouldn't they wouldn't advertise it on their you know their front page of the of the dashboard and right. There were just a lot of a lot of problems, and it's a real shame because they had a really really innovative and good idea there, and they just I think they just sort of let it die. Which yeah, is, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a shame. XNA was amazing. Like yeah. they had, they they had so much promise, and 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 even now, I you know there is a petition obviously for .NET to be available on the Xbox One, and that's like seven thousand votes, right? But there is another one for hey, bring back XNA five or you know continue with XNA five, and that has uh, I think like twelve hundred votes or more. And mm-hmm. that's people that even know about this. So why they let it go? I am mystified. Yeah, and they they don't really have a great story at the moment for indie developers on XBLA, which is their sort of um, downloadable service for, I guess, proper games. I'm doing inverted quotes here that no one can see. Proper games. Um, uh-huh. And the other thing to say that the, the problem on there is there's just a lot of bad stories that you hear. I don't know if you've heard about any of them. Like, uh, have you heard of Super Meat Boy? No. Tell us about Super Meat Boy. Great name, mind you. Uh, yes, briefly, they, they, um, were told that they'd be included in a, in a sort of summer, um, promotion thing if they got the game done by a certain time, which they almost killed themselves to do, um, and the game never appeared. Um, and more recently, I guess, um, a game called Skulls of the Shogun, which is an amazing game, um, was released on Windows 8 across all the different devices, and there's a really scathing blog post by the guys, uh, 17-bit, I believe, other name. Um, about the experience on there because they were really sort of yanked around and um, not, you know, approach with caution at the moment for us anyway. But we all of these things are app stores. We just got this problem with app stores where there's too many games uh, and such a tough quality, so very tough to measure the quality threshold. It's incredibly hard to find things like, you know, and then, and we keep focusing on the Angry Birds type mega win. And uh, and we know that almost nobody's going to get that. Yeah, they're the they're the statistical outliers, and uh, you can't really base a business off them. No, and I think you know all of these app stores get into this gold rush mentality. Yeah, it makes sense if you're if you're if you're the marketplace, you obviously want that. It's like oh, you, you know, it's easy to maintain, easy to kind of perpetuate. People can remember less things. Uh, you know, if I was in the business of of platforms i would want exactly that so maybe what needs to happen is a business model that is the opposite of that that fosters diversity and new stuff and 
good things, but I don't know what that is. And if I find out, I'll do it and I'll be a millionaire. And I'll send you a <laughs> bottle of something. <laughs> uh, I know what you could send me. <laughs> what, what, what are you drinking these days? Oh, well, it depends on what mood I'm in, but my my new favorite is Angel's Envy Bourbon. I don't know if you can get it over there. No, that's mm. that's that's West Virginia, my friend. Yeah. No, no, that's... No, it's uh, Kentucky. That, no, it, it's Kentucky. Yeah. It's the other one, uh, Ambler Scout, that's from West Virginia. Right. We know too much about bourbon. Too this much. Is disturbing. We, we, we know too much about scotch, so that's okay. We're not something <laughs> bourbon. It's not a bad uh, you know, thing. I can not gladly bring you some when we when we come over there. Well, cool. I'd yeah. be glad to accept some from you. We, well, we can do right. a swap. Yeah, good, we'll be, we're coming through Ireland. Ireland the second week of October for a few stops. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Come by. More yeah. if you I bring suspect bourbon. there will be a couple of drinks involved. I hope so. <laughs> Might be Irish whiskey, though. Well, we can bring you around. We know a few places. Awesome. Fantastic. So, Andrew, what's in your inbox? What's next for you? So, we are currently building a bunch of systems for the, the current game. Uh, lots of effects, stuff to go in, um, lots of gameplay programming, sort of working towards a January goal for the for our alpha build. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's the, that's the medium term. Um, long term, going to get on our band out. We're going to get on to the next game, hopefully get a few games going at the same time. Okay. Um, that's the plan. All right. Andrea, what's next for you? Well, we're, we're quite aligned. Uh, I think my, my focus is on, on making sure that the underlying tech is okay. Um, the part that I'm very excited about next is AI. And I've been playing a lot with that. Um, and it's quite fun. So I'm enjoying that. Release Honor Bound, hopefully great success. And then, yeah, multiple games awesome. with cats. With cats? <laughs> Well, I I will get eventually a game with cuts. So, oh. you know, it, it will eventually happen. So just wait for it. Okay. Can I can I just say before we wrap up that um, your your podcast was the first one I listened to uh, maybe about nine or ten years ago. I think it was before episode 50. And uh, it was a time when, when there were no other .NET programmers around me and it was quite isolated. So yeah. I guess just thanks for doing what you're doing. Um, it was it was great then, and it's, it's still great now. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being such a great fan. Cheers. And to all of our fans, thanks for listening. And don't stop, for God's sakes, or Richard and I will have to get real jobs. Don't do it. Don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. We'll see you later. We'll see you in Ireland. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. Forward. And we'll see you, dear listener, next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. 
online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a van by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a